white man God is not a man sitting on a cloud God cannot be bought God will not be boxed in God will not be owned by religion But God is love God is love He loves everyone God is love God is love He loves everyone God is not a man God is not an old man God does not belong to Republicans God is not a flag Not even American God does not depend on a government But God is good God is good He loves everyone God is good God is good He loves Charlatans and communists and lesbians and even old Pat Robertson. Oh God, he loves us all. Catholic or Protestant, terrorist or president. Everybody, everybody, love, love. Lord God, we pray that you would help us to preach. Your word, your word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And Lord Jesus, you are that word. And we pray that we would be filled with your spirit and you would open the scriptures to us. The scriptures that uh, cannot be broken. That's what you said, Lord Jesus. And so in your name, we ask, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, help us preach. Amen. Does the Bible anywhere teach that God loves every human being from Adam to the last human being ever born, or does the Bible teach that God hates some people as well as loves some other people. One way to catch a humanist is to ask, does God love everybody? The humanist would say, oh, well, I think he does. See, that's a rationalist. Oh, I feel in my heart that he does. There's the mystic. Well, in my experience, there's the empiricist. Well, uh, my church teaches it. That's the fideist. Reason, experience, feelings, faith. These are the four sources of origin for the humanist. But see, I'm not a humanist. I don't believe man is the measure of all things. I believe God is the measure of all things. Does God ever love anybody? I'm, well, you find here in Romans 9, it says in verse 13, Jacob I love. Now there's a specific name, Jacob or Yaakov. 
God says, I loved Jacob. So in answer to the question, does the Bible ever say that God loved anybody at any time? The answer is he loved Jacob. Second question, does the same Bible ever say that God hates people? Ah, same verse. Jacob, I loved. Esau, I hated. Well, then evidently, there are those whom God loves and there are those whom God hates. Obviously, hello. Now, uh, some little cliches, if you're dealing with the humanists, they say, but God hates the sin but loves the sinner. And I have these little cliches. They're like little flags that people wave at football games. The scripture says God is angry with sinners. You can't get any clearer than that. So who gets thrown into hell? People or just their sin? What happened on the cross? Well, sin was crucified, but not Jesus. Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken my sin or me? Once you begin to talk about the fact there's the elect of God whom God has loved from all eternity and sent Christ to be their Savior, sent the Holy Spirit to apply redemption so salvation is planned by the Father, purchased by the Son, sealed by the Spirit, blessed God through... Then there are the reprobates for whom there's nothing but blackness and damnation ahead. The moment you say this, immediately the mystics arise. And I don't like it. it it's not fair. And, and they give you all this emotional vomiting. And they'll say, well, if this is the God that is, I don't want him. And I'm happy with that. I would rather you know the truth, stare it in the eye, and say, I reject it and walk away. Be an atheist. You want to be an atheist? Be an honest one. I submit to the Word of God and to the God of the Word and to Jesus Christ as my prophet, priest, and king. And I submit to whatever the Scripture teaches. And the Bible teaches, Jacob I love, Esau I hate. There's two classes of people. And that's the way it is. Well, that's uh, Bob Morey, and I had to edit the video for the sake of time. If you want to watch all of it, you can watch it on his website, faithdefenders.com. Bob isn't a Nazi skinhead. He's a pastor with a MDiv degree and a DMIN degree from Westminster Theological Seminary. In other words, he comes from the same theological family as me. Does God love everybody? That's a theological question. In some act, it, it doesn't matter, but maybe it's the only thing that does matter. Does God love this person? That matters. Does, does God love this person? Oh, gosh, um, that matters too. So if God loves that first person and loves this person, well, that could kind of maybe hurt for God somewhere along the line. <sighs> you think he loves those people? 
That's a terrifying thought. What about this person? <laughs> Thanks, but... You know, that's a nice house he's saying in front of, and, and he could have fed those people in the last slide. But he didn't. What about these people? Star of David on their chest. Does God love these people? They're Palestinians. Many of them chased their ancestry back to the kingdom of, of Edom and a man named Esau. And, and check this out. If God loves these people, well, that could even like affect our foreign policy. What about these guys? These guys are hell's angels. I mean, I grew up in a Christian house, and I'm telling you, as a kid, nobody scared me like these guys. I figured that if God hated anybody, it would be these guys, bad boys, bad boy bikers. Does, does God love them? Does God love Esau? Uh, does God love this guy? Yes. Absolutely, unequivocally, without question, yes, and beware, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, said Jesus. Does God love everybody? You know, the Bible doesn't say God loves everybody in exactly those words, but it does say God is love. God is love. And, and maybe that's part of the problem. We can't comprehend love. So love must comprehend us. God is love. And yet, Romans 9, 13, Esau, I hated, said God, who is love. That means love hated Esau. So love can hate. And hate is not the opposite of love. God is love. And, and you know, he really has no opposite. Jesus said, honor your father and mother. But check this out. He also said, unless you hate your father and mother and your brother, you cannot be my d disciple. You, you can't be. To 1 John 2, 9, John writes, if you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar. I mean, all that's confusing. So it appears that hate, uh, the word hate can mean different things, different concepts, concepts but but context, but hate is not the opposite of love. Jesus said this too. He said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So how are we to love ourselves? Jesus also said this, he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So I'm to love myself by hating life. My psyche is the Greek. My, my soul so hate isn't the opposite of love, but sometimes it's actually a function of love because love can hate. And, and often, isn't it the people that we love the most, which we hate the most? 
I remember Paul Harvey shared this great little story on the radio about a little girl named Sarah, six years old. One day, her father would not um, surrender to her wishes to go swimming. She asked him over and over and over again, and he kept saying, no, 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 no. So that night, she took a red pencil, and she wrote a note to her father and left it on uh, his pillow, and it read as follows, Daddy, I hate you. Signed, Love, Sarah. <laughs> I hate you. Love, Sarah. Ever read the Psalms? Our words to God sounds a lot like that. You ever read the prophets, God's words to us? Oh, it sounds a lot like that. I mean, you read Jeremiah, and it's just like emotional vomiting. God, emotional vomiting. He gets emotional. I hate you, Israel. Love God. So love hates. But how does love hate? Well, sometimes, and this happens in time, sometimes love hates by withholding manifestations of love. I mean, I know this as a dad. I used to say stuff like this to my, my kids all the time. I always loved them, but sometimes I'd say, well, fine, you do it. You don't want my help. You're in control. I'm not in control. I cannot be bothered. Fine. Romans 1, Paul gives a lengthy description of God's wrath. Over and over again, it says, God gave them up. <laughs> Fine, you do it. Gave them up to their passions, their psyche, their own lives. Maybe he's hoping that they'd learn to love themselves by hating their own lives, their psyches. So perhaps, perhaps sometimes, love loves best by hating for a time. And perhaps love hates by removing the manifestations of its presence, leaving the beloved in outer darkness, the far country where sons of the kingdom weep and gnash their teeth and learn to long for love. Perhaps love hates through the appearance of absence for a time. But how does love conquer its own hate? Because, see, love may hate, but it never is satisfied with hate. It's never satisfied with distance and separation and anger. How does love conquer its own hate? John writes, God so loved the world, the world that he gave. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sin is the reason that love hates. The reason, I think, that anybody hates sin. 1 John 2, 2, he is the propitiation. That means the taker awayer of our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And then 1 John 4, 10, and in this is love, that God in Christ takes it away, that love takes it away. Takes it away. You know, Bob Moore badly misquoted scripture at the end of his video. Nowhere in scripture does God say, I hate Esau. Present tense. It says, I hated Esau. Past tense. Like it is finished. Like it's been taken away. Like Jesus took it away. God so loved the world. It sounds like everybody. 
Matthew 5, 43, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father. Does God hate his enemies? Does God love his enemies? In Luke 6.35, Jesus says, love your enemies. Ekthros, it means the hated or, or the hateful. Love the hated. <laughs> love your enemies. Be merciful just as your father, your heavenly father, is merciful. That's Jesus talking. The word of God, the will of God, the God man. And he says, love your neighbors, love your enemies like your father. Sounds like everybody. And yet it is Esau. I hate it. When the Jews ask God, how have you loved us in Malachi 1, God replies, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. That's how. Esau, where is Jesus in that? You know, we're having this mini-series called Jesus Everywhere. So let's uh, look for Jesus in that statement, Romans 9, 13, and in the story of Jacob and Esau. In Romans 9, when you read chapter Romans 9, 10, 11, you'll see that the Jewish rabbi Saul, who you know as the Apostle Paul, is wrestling with a mystery. And the mystery is this, why some believe and why some don't believe. And more specifically, why Gentiles seem to be receiving the promised blessing, who is Jesus, and the Jews are not. I mean, for Paul, in his experience, it's like God is saying, Esau I loved, and Jacob, I hated. And Jacob is Israel. Chapter 9, verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, writes Paul. Then verse 9. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, they'd done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of his call. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Why? To maintain the purpose of God's election. The purpose of predestination. More specifically, the purpose of double predestination. Esau is hated for a purpose, and Jacob is loved for a purpose. And it's the same purpose, but not their purpose. They're predestined. So you can't blame Esau any more than you blame Jacob. And you can't give credit to Jacob any more than you give credit to Esau. It's not their choice. It's God's choice, and he has a purpose. What the heck is that purpose? Ah! Next verse. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Or as my Greek teacher told me to translate it, hell no. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. That's Exodus 33. It's a variation on God's name. I am that I am. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Verse 16. So then it depends not on human 
or exertion, but on God who has mercy. As to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Whomever he's wills. He, he's demonstrating the power of his will, his free will, God's free will. And what's God's will? Well, he did say, Jacob I loved, and Esau I hated. Esau I hated. Esau I hated. Esau I hate. Hey, if you hate Esau, aren't you making him the last and the least? Aren't you? Well, and that kind of reminds me of something that, that Jesus said. He said that when he comes and sits on his glorious throne, he will separate. And, and if you read the story carefully, you realize that he will separate each one of us, separate that which loves in us from that which does not love. He will separate, he will judge, and yet, and yet judgment is happening all the time, for he will say, whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers, and check this out, Jacob and Esau are brothers. Whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So if you hate Esau and consign him to hell, aren't you hating Jesus and consigning Jesus to hell? Which is consigning yourself to hell? Whatever you did unto the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me, says Jesus. I think he means that. Well, anyway, let's take a look at the story. I mean, let's take a look inside Isaac's house. In his house are brothers, Jacob and Esau. Uh, let's look inside his house and see if we can find Jesus behind the curtain. Now, you will not be able to understand all of this story, so don't put that pressure on yourself as we continue, okay? But hopefully you're going to catch a glimpse of Jesus, the meaning of every story. Genesis 25, 21 this is about 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. 4,000 years ago, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children wrestled, <laughs> struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided, separated. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. It's like a miraculous conception, right? These boys, both boys. But the older will serve the younger. Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. They are predestined, more specifically double predestined. So uh, Jacob's choices are not the cause of his blessing. And, and any blessing uh, then would more likely be like the cause of his choices. Uh, on the other side, Esau's choices are not the cause of his rejection. 
In other words, it would be more like Esau's rejection is the cause of uh, his bad choices, his sin. I mean, it's like Esau has been consigned to disobedience. And you see, the point of election then is this, that God elects and you don't. A better word for Americans than election is choice. In the words of Jesus, you didn't choose me. I chose you. That's the point of election. Your choice does not save you. God's choice saves you. Always. And that means any obedience in you, obedience, true obedience from the heart, obedience is a gift. It's God's choice. It's God's will. It's God's word begotten or born within you. Well, anyway, Genesis 25, 25. The firstborn, okay, of these twins is born red and hairy. Isn't that weird? So you know what they name him? Harry, not Judas. Harry. They name him Harry. That's Esau. Means Harry. And check this out. Esau is a real man. I mean, read this story. Esau likes the outdoors. He likes to go hunting. I mean, I think Esau probably has a Harley, has a bunch of tattoos, leather jacket. He is a, a real man. And Esau is the firstborn. Now, that's huge in the Bible because the firstborn received the birthright, a double portion of the father's inheritance. And check this out. The firstborn inherited judicial authority of his father, prophet, priest, or king. The firstborn was holy unto the Lord, and all the Jews knew that the Messiah would be firstborn. Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation, firstborn from the dead. And we are not the firstborn. We are Jacob, who gets to Israel and we are literally grafted into his family tree as, as Christians. Jacob means, um, check this out. You know what Jacob means? Supplanter, deceiver, liar, or maybe even more possibly along with all of those, heel grabber, heel grabber. When Jacob is born, he's hanging on to Esau's heel. And now, this is important because the last time we read the word heel, that was back in Genesis chapter 3 in some weird prophecy uh, about uh, somebody grabbing or wounding or biting a heel. Jacob is born wrestling Esau and grabbing his heel. Now, Jacob is kind of a mama's boy. You know the story. I mean, you know, Jacob is kind of really not a real man. But Jacob carries the seed. He carries the blessing. And the seed is Christ. And so isn't that amazing? Esau is the first like Christ, but Jacob carries the seed that is Christ. It's Jacob's nation that will give birth to a baby, wrap it in swathing clothes, and let it danger. Verse 29. When Jacob had, was cooking stew, Makes sense, right? Esau came in from the field. He's gone hunting. And he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff, red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which, can mean, which means red. 
Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Sell it to me now. Esau said, I'm about to die of what uses a birthright to me. Jacob said, swear to me now. Swear to me, like covenant to me. So he, he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Well, then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So check this out. Esau was also named Edom. And Edom sounds an awful lot like Adam. That's because in Hebrew, they're pretty much the same word, meaning red or clay or something like that. They are both the same three Hebrew consonants. You can ask Allison, remember, there's a Hebrew professor, right? And uh, the only real, real difference is they're pronounced with different vowels that originally in the Hebrew uh, weren't even uh, printed. So uh, check this out. Esau uh, was also named Edom, and Edom sounds a lot like, like Adam, and and. Esau's big sin is despising his birthright. And what's a birthright? Well, it's sheer grace. And every son of the first Adam has committed exactly the same sin, despising grace and seizing control. So Edom is like every man, Adam. And Esau, the firstborn, is like Jesus, the last Adam. It's like whatever you do to any man, you do to Jesus. You do uh, to any Adam, you, you do to the last Adam. Like Esau is every man, and Esau is Jesus. Or at least in this story, should be acting like Jesus, right? That's Esau. But now, if you're a Christian, like I said, you're Jacob. You're Jacob. And the author clearly wants us, as this story progresses, to sympathize Esau and see that Jacob is a heel-grabbing, lying mama's boy. <laughs> Chapter 27. Isaac longs to bless Esau. Isaac is his father. He loves Esau. Isaac wants to bless Esau, but Jacob steals the blessing. Do you remember the story? Every Jew knew the story. They had to know the story. It was their identity. They were chosen and blessed, but not because they earned it. They stole it as they were predestined to do. Every believer, every Christian must know the story. You are chosen and blessed, blessed with everything, everything that belongs to the firstborn. You're chosen and blessed, but not because you earned it. You stole it or tried to steal it as you were predestined to do. With your sin, with your lying, with your cheating, with your heel grabbing, you nailed the firstborn son of God to the tree in the garden. Remember? Do you remember the story? Genesis 27, Isaac the father is preparing to die, preparing to bless Esau. Rebecca and Jacob see what's happening. So while Esau is hunting game for his father, Rebecca and Jacob take two goats, kill them and roast them so that they taste like Esau's game. 
And then uh, Rebekah takes the skins of the goats and puts it on Jacob's neck and upon his hands so that he would feel like Esau. And she puts Esau's clothes upon Jacob and so that he would smell like the firstborn. And Jacob then goes into his father Isaac, blind father Isaac, and says, I am Esau. E Isaac is, Isaac's confused because he hears Jacob's voice, but he feels Esau's skin and he smells the aroma of his firstborn. Chapter 27, verse 26. Jacob then betrays Esau and Isaac with a kiss. As Isaac blesses Jacob with the blessing of the firstborn. Do you know why you're blessed? Because the Father hears your voice and sees the righteousness of the firstborn, smells the aroma of his fragrance, Christ in you, Christ on you, Christ covering you. So anyway, Jacob receives the blessing because Esau does not, and that's how Esau is hated. Hey, do you remember who's hated by God in Scripture? Psalm 5.5, 5, all evildoers, <laughs> all sinners, dang, that's everybody. <laughs> Even Jacob, Hosea and Israel reveal God hates Israel because of sin. But listen closer to the words of Paul. He who knew no sin became sin. Do you feel alone in your sin? Do you feel trapped by your sin? Do you feel like nobody else's sin like you do? He who knew no sin became sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. That means that Jesus was God damned in our place. God hated God. God hated the God-man in our place. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, writes Paul in Philippians 3, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And in 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 5, he writes this, as in Adam all die, so in Christ, the last Adam, will all be made alive. Well, if anyone was hated, Jesus was hated upon that cross. And Bob Morey even describes it in his video. Died and descended into hell, bearing the sin of the world. Jesus was hated, but Jesus is always completely and thoroughly loved by the Father. Jesus was hated so you could see how much you are loved by the Father. God damned God in Jesus for you. And check this out, Jesus did become last and least. God consigned himself to hell for the love of you. So Esau was hated because Jacob was loved. Jesus was hated because you have been loved infinitely. Well, in Genesis chapter 7, uh, when Isaac discovers what's happening, he, he trembles violently. That's what it says. And Esau cries out in agony. When we stole the blessing, all creation trembles. 
violently. And the firstborn lifted his head on the cross and he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We stole the blessing. That's sin. But God gave the blessing. That's grace. And check this out. It was all predestined. In Genesis 28, Jacob then flees the promised land for the same reason that we all flee. He's terrified of the wrath of the firstborn. At Bethel, God meets him and confirms the blessing, saying, you have been blessed to bless all the families of the earth. All the families, all the... That would include Esau's family, right? Edom. Jacob will bless Esau. And the blessing is Christ, the firstborn. Wow! So maybe the firstborn will start acting like Jesus, the firstborn. For Jacob will bless Esau with, with Jesus. Maybe he, Esau the firstborn will start acting like Jesus the firstborn. Maybe every Adam will act like the last Adam. It's predestined. Well, anyway, Jacob, the, the prodigal son now, it takes his inheritance and he flees to the far country where he's basically enslaved by his uncle Laban, but God still blesses him, blesses him with 11 of 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. After 20 years there in the far country, God tells Jacob to return to his father's land, the promised land, his heaven. The only thing that stands in his way is Esau, the firstborn. As Jacob approaches, his, his servants inform him Esau is coming with 400 men, and Jacob is absolutely terrified. He sends massive gifts ahead of him to Esau with this message, and I quote, these are presents to you, my lord Esau, from your servant, Jacob. Jacob then prays, God, I am not worthy of your blessings. And then that night, as he sits alone in the darkness, terrified, a man jumps him and they start wrestling <laughs> they wrestle all night long until the man finally touches him in a place where a fellow is circumcised the hebrew kind of makes that clear and it throws his hip out of joint it throws something out of joint but Jacob clings to him and demands, he demands a blessing and the man finally says you shall no longer be called Jacob Liar, heel grabber, cheat, but you shall be called Israel, God wrestler. For you have wrestled with God and men and prevailed. And check this out, the wrestler is God. Jacob realizes this now. The wrestler is God and the wrestler is a man. It's the God man. It's the firstborn of all creation, last Adam. We know who it is. It's Jesus. No, I, I, I'm not a humanist. Man is not the measure of all things. But God became man. And with that man, God measures all things. He's the reason of God, the, our experience of God, the passion of God, the faith of God. He's the word of God. He's the judgment of all things, the measure of all things. That man wrestled with Jacob and judged Jacob. Chapter 32, verse 30. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel. Means face of God. Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face. 
Scripture says if you, if you see God, you'll die. I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been saved, has been delivered. I mean, maybe he like died and then was saved or something. You know, Paul said if we were joined with him in a death like his, we'll surely be joined with him in a resurrection like his. Like J Jacob and this God man dying and rising or something. And yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon Jacob as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Chapter 33, verse 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. And check this out. Behold, Esau was coming. And 400 men with him. Now remember, Jacob has sent like a parade of gifts. And now he bows himself to the ground seven times. It's like he's worshiping Esau. But Esau ran to meet him, verse 4. Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. Remember like the father runs to the prodigal son out on the road. Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. They all bow down. Jacob and all of his servants bow down to Esau. And Esau says, what do you mean by this? And Jacob answers, I hope to find grace grace in your sight my lord and Esau says but I've got enough and Jacob says no please I have found if I have found favor if I have found grace in your sight then accept my present from my hand for I have seen your face which is like seeing the face of God did you catch that like the face of God and Jacob just saw the face of God the firstborn of all creation, Jesus. Esau, I, I never noticed this before, but you look like just like him, says Jacob. Renowned Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann points out that the text is, is making this clear. He writes, the forgiving face of Esau and the blessing face of God have this affinity, right, writes Brueggemann. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing. That is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I got enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. And so Jacob blesses Esau. Now, there is meaning on top of meaning on top of meaning and story on top of story on top of story. But at least get this. Jacob stole Esau's blessing and Esau forgives Jacob and so blesses Jacob and now Jacob blesses Esau and now it's like Jacob and Esau are having a party right there in the promised land and Jacob says Esau you look just like God <laughs> like the God man the God man that I just spent all night wrestling with never it before <laughs> but Esau you look like him you see, all his life, even in the womb, he'd been wrestling the God-man. <laughs> what is all your life? Even if he's behind the curtain, you're wrestling the God-man. He said, this is the judgment. Whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers, you do to me. So Esau, Edom, is like every man, Adam. And Esau, the firstborn, is also like Jesus, the last Adam. And so you see, maybe really, actually, we are judged by Jesus in every man. Maybe heaven is made up of every man and every woman, everybody. And if you don't love everybody, well, you're not gonna love heaven. Maybe heaven is Jesus in everybody. 
Scripture says he's going to fill all things. Maybe heaven is Jesus in everybody, the will of God in everybody, the word of God in everybody, the church of God in everybody, the firstborn in everybody, the firstborn in Esau, uh, firstborn in, in the Jews and the Palestinians and those poor people and, and the rich people, maybe even those bad boy bikers, the hell's angels. I, I bet that's what Esau looked like, the last kind of person that I'd expect to see in the kingdom of heaven. So check this out. If you don't love Esau, you won't love the kingdom of heaven. In fact, you'll judge yourself right on out and into the outer darkness. Read the gospel and you'll see that heaven is a lot like this. It's a lot like a room full of Esau's. That's an advertisement for Carlsberg beer. Um, Kim Ellingson sent me that video this week, and I thought, that's it. That's what, that, that's what, I mean, Carl, check this out. Carlsberg beer didn't think that idea up. They stole it from Jesus. That's the parable of the vineyard. It's also the parable of the Good Samaritan, a bunch of other parables about banquets and stuff like that in the New Testament. So anyway, like I was saying, Jesus is our judgment. And we wrestle with him every day. We wrestle with mercy every day and in everyone we meet. So Jesus is our judgment. And Jesus is how we are judged. He is in Esau that's hated. He is in Jacob that's loved. And in both places, it's mercy. 
He bears our sin and is hated on our behalf. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In other words, he bears our sin and he is our righteousness. He is love in me. He is the spotless lamb in me. He is the choice of God in me. He is mercy in me. He is the blessing in me. He is the sin offering and the thank offering. Jesus is our judgment. Jesus is how we are judged. And unless we are judged, we can't receive the blessing. For the blessing is heaven. And heaven is a party. And you cannot enjoy it without mercy. Back to Romans 9.13. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Verse For I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Verse 16. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but God who has mercy. Verse 18. So the, then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. So the obvious question is, whom does he will to harden? And on whom does he will to have mercy? Well, Paul continues his discourse in Romans 9, 10, and, and 11. Um, he talks about how it seems that the Jews, Jacob's family, are hardened. And Gentiles, that's Esau's crew, they have received mercies. And then Paul says it is for this reason, so that the the fullness of the Gentiles will come in and thus all Israel will be saved. So check this out. Whom does God will to harden? And on whom does God will to have mercy? Romans 11 32. I don't understand why people don't read this. It's like they've been hardened or blinded to it. Romans 11 32. Paul answers the question. God has consigned all to disobedience. God has willed to harden all. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans eleven thirty two. 32. God has consigned all to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. Do you get it? You can only have mercy on someone that's been hardened. God has consigned all to disobedience so they may have mercy on all. That's double predestination. All have been predestined to disobedience because all have been predestined to mercy for Christ has been predestined to bear our sin and he's predestined to give us his righteousness. That is mercy, predestined. How else could you come to know mercy? Any other way and it wouldn't be mercy. What would it be? human will or human exertion. So that's the purpose of predestination, that God might have mercy on all. You are predestined by mercy, for mercy, to be filled with mercy and made in the very image of mercy. For without mercy, you will despise your birthright and won't be able to receive the blessing. A whole new creation filled with mercy, filled with God filled with the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. You have been predestined to love and freedom as the very image of God. And you see, if you know that now, in this dark place, this outer darkness where men weep and gnash their teeth, if you know that now, you are blessed. You are blessed to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. In other words, you are elect. You are elect to preach the gospel to all creation. You are the church. And the gates of hell shall not 
prevail against you, said Jesus. For on the night that the firstborn was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take, eat. And in the same way, after supper, and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, is the new covenant, the eternal covenant, the covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. And so Jacob, come to the table and receive the birthright, receive the blessing of the firstborn. Does God love everybody? You better believe it. Actually, I think it's your judgment. And his name is Jesus. He is worthy of our worship. Let's worship him. Amen. And so long ago, in a garden, Adam, despised his birthright. Why did he despise it? Because he didn't know what it was. He didn't have the knowledge of good and evil. And he began to discover what it was. He tried to steal it. Uh, he tried to buy it. He tried to purchase it with human will and exertion. And so he nailed the last Adam to the tree. But what we stole, God gave. And you see, it was all predestined. And if you're American, that kind of bugs you. Right? Because you're like, what the heck? What about free will and freedom of choice? What about that? Well, check out what you're predestined for. You are predestined to love everybody in freedom. You see, we think we're free. At best, we're just barely beginning to be free. We're just barely beginning to love the way our Father in heaven loves. It means that one day you will want to love. One day you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength because that's what you want to do. And you will love your neighbor as yourself because that's what you want to do. And so you have been predestined by our Father in heaven to be made in the very image of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the very image of love. From the sixth day of creation, God turned to his son and said, hey, let's make man in our own image and likeness. And check this out. He's not going to fail. In Jesus' name, you know the gospel. So believe the gospel and preach the gospel because men and women are weeping and gnashing their teeth in outer darkness and they need to hear good news. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is uh, Jason Forsyth. I'm one of the board members here at the sanctuary. And uh, I was raised going to church and being involved in church activities. I was involved in doing a lot of the activities and the doing of church. But when it came down to it, I'm not really sure I believed God, that God was love or that he was really that good. I thought his love would fail and that I needed to help God to accomplish his goals. So in the end, it became more about what I did for God than what he did for me. But since I've been a part of this body, the sanctuary, God has shown me how truly good he really is and that his steadfast love never fails. This is a unique and special place, unlike any Christian community I've been a part of. And we are still a growing church, 
and we need your help to keep it going. You know, over the past couple months, we have had a dip into our reserves to meet our financial responsibilities, and so it makes December an important month to catch up. And I say all this with the faith that at the end, God is not afraid of the bottom line, but more concerned about us as a body, sharing our needs with him, and trusting that he is good and loves us more than we could ever know.